you're demeaning of other people who are not like us. And so if you happen to be white, you look down on other people who are not white. Uh, I found that people, it's, it's not always only whites who are racist. You find blacks who look down on anybody that's not black. You look at Filipinos who look down. Not very often, Filipinos are pretty cool. Um, but it is, it is generally, the human heart says, you know, we're better than other people. And so when we look at somebody else, and even the Jews look down on the Gentiles, they call them dogs. So we're, we're very prone to identify our people group and identify the rest of the world as others, as nobodies, as people who are less than us. Now, uh, it's very unusual that one group would look at another and say they are actually in a special place. And as a Christian, you've got to get to that place where you start to realize the Jews are in a special place, more special than you and me. It's, uh, as my mom would say, it's by the skin of our teeth that we have anything to do with God. We're dumb dog Gentiles. Um, it's, it's a miracle that you and I got the gospel. We shouldn't be saved. We shouldn't be even interested in God. And so, but as we're going to see, as we're going to look at Romans chapter 9, we're going to see that God uh, worked through a, a, uh, a group of people that he calls the apple of his eye, and he, he works through them, and their failure and their fall and their messing up works for them, not, not in spite of them, or not, not, not you know, trampling on them, but using them still to win the world, which is kind of a crazy thought. So we're going to try and look at that in Romans chapter 9. So look at verse 3, Romans chapter 9 and verse 3. For I could wish, now this is the Apostle Paul talking, I could wish that myself were what? What's that word mean? Accursed. Damned. Now, could the Apostle Paul be damned? Neither could you. But Paul doesn't say, I wish I was damned. That would be stupid. But I could wish it, he says. I could wish that I were accursed, that myself were accursed from Christ, for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, verse 4, who are who? Israelites. So there's a special place that Israel has in God's plan. And in this section here uh, of Romans chapter 9, 10, 11, we'll see three great truths. Number one, God is not through with the Jewish people. His promises, when he made a promise to the Jews, he cannot. The Bible says he swore. Now, as I said this morning, when God swears, that's serious. When God makes a promise, he can't back out of it. So when he swore to Israel, and he swore specifically to Abraham, that he'd take care of his children, and he would keep them in the land. He would give them numbers, numbering the stars of the sky. He would give them a redeemer, a savior. When he made that promise, those promises and those commitments are eternal. Number two, Israel still needs the gospel just as us Gentiles do. So we're going to learn that the, the, the Jews are lost. Uh, Jesus said, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of Israel. He's um, uh, not saying, oh, my brothers and sisters, oh, we're all in the family of God. No, he came to save his people, didn't he? That was what his name means. You're going to name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. They're just as lost as you and I are. Third, and this is very important, Israel is the key to all of God's promises and plans. Israel is the key. If I am going to actually experience any blessing of God, I've got to have a right relationship with God via the Jews. Not that I have to become a Jew, but I have to understand God uh, in, in respect of how the Jews in the Old Testament had to follow God. So uh, what, kind of a, what kind of a 
uh, a life did Jesus live? Was it kind of any way he wanted, happy-go-lucky? What kind of governing powers did Jesus have over his life? He had the law. He had to dot every I, cross every T. He had to be a righteous Jew. Now, Paul tried himself to do that. He says, I was blameless according to the law. So um, uh, this concept of, you know, now I'm a Christian, I can do anything I want, I can live any way I want. Well, you can, right? There's no condemnation to you, but there's no blessing for you unless you take personal holiness and unless you take um, the, uh, uh, the lessons that the Jews learned and that, they, that the Old Testament teaches, unless you understand that, you'll come to God like most people do today where they get this idea that, you know, God, God just... God loves me as I am. Is that true, yes or no? Of course it's true, but it doesn't leave you as you are. Now, by the way, well, I'll hold on some thoughts here. Israel is very important for you to understand your place in God's kingdom because you've been grafted into a place that Israel used to have. And you've been grafted into this place, and Romans chapter 11 says, be very careful because as God puts you in, Gentiles, he can take you out. And uh, not that you'll lose your salvation, but the Gentiles will have no, uh, no more participation in God's plan through the ages. And I'll show you what that plan is in a moment. Now, <clears throat> let's look at verse 1, 2, and 3 in Romans. And I want to try to get through this chapter, and I think you'll get a blessing out of it. Verse 1 says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. What is he trying to say? What I'm about to tell you, he's saying is something you may not believe. Verse 2, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Who is Paul writing to? What's the name of the book? Romans. So he's generally writing to Gentiles. He's writing to the people um, uh, up in Rome. And some of them are saved, most of them are saved, some are lost, some are Jewish, some of them are uh, Gentile. And he says, you may not believe this, but I have continual sorrow about my kinsmen, my people, the Jews. So Paul loved his own people. He loved them. He was very nationalistic. Even though he traveled all over the Middle East and into Europe, even though he constantly dealt with other people, and he knew that he was the apostle too, the Gentiles, to the nations, he loved his people. He actually calls them his brethren, his kinsmen according to the flesh, and he calls them Israelites. He loved his people. And Paul was more than he just didn't, wasn't just loving of them. He was burdened about them. He was worried about them. He was grieved for them. What was he grieved about? Because their economy was bad. Because they were lost. Because their eternal destiny was hell. And he wishes... I wish I could take their place. I wish I could go in their place. That's a crazy thing. You know, Paul was willing to, um, uh, Paul was willing to take their place, their punishment, as if it was possible. Was it possible? Is it possible for anybody to take your place in hell so that you go to heaven? Is it possible for any human to do that? No. That's why Jesus did it. Now, I like Paul. You know, Paul knew the joy, the peace, the riches of salvation, the, just the, the, the pricelessness of forgiveness, and he wanted Israel to know that as well. Do you want anybody to know what you've got? 
Uh, you remember when you first got saved, you were probably one of the craziest nuts at school or on the job. You just went around to everybody telling them they were going to hell and you get saved. Why'd you do that? Because you knew they needed it. We kind of cool off, don't we? We kind of forget the world's going to hell. Paul never got over it. Paul wanted desperately for all Israel to be saved. Matter of fact, he would go into a town. What's the first thing he would do when he'd go into a village or a town or a city? He'd go to the synagogue. And he tried to witness to the Jews. They run him out of the town. He'd go into another town. When, when, when he had a chance to go someplace, he says, before I get there, I want to stop by Jerusalem. I want to try again and, 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 and give him the gospel, give him a chance to get saved, try to reason with them. You know, the truth is, that is how Christians need to feel about all people, including the Jews. You ever pass by people and just go, I don't want to bury burden, I don't want to care, I'm just, I just want to get to my place and just get busy. That's, that's us. Paul had a right heart. Secondly, <clears throat> there's a special place of the Jews in God's plan. Still, in verse 4. Now, this is amazing. See, these are, the Jews are a special group of people in world history. He says in verse 4, they are Israelites who pertaineth, to whom pertaineth the adoption, look at this list, and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God, we say worship, and the promises whose are the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of whom is concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. These people have a, uh, a special place uh, in God's plan. They're special people. God has not abandoned them because they are Israelites. Now, what that means is that God made a promise to Abraham that he'd take care of his descendants through Jacob, through Israel, their children of Israel. And he says, they are a special people. He doesn't say they're Irish. He doesn't say they're American. He says they're, they're Israelites. He says that's a special group of people. To them belong the adoption. Now that means that from the smallest, tiniest little group, Abraham and Sarah, when they were, when they were the smallest nation, smallest people group, God adopted them into his family. Isn't that cool? Now, this people, they have the adoption, <clears throat> and they're brought in by obedient faith. To them belongs the glory. You think about the glory of what it meant to know God. Do you ever, you ever forget that on a Sunday when we gather together, do you ever hear me pray, God, meet with us? Do you ever hear me pray that? It's because that's what we need. When he shows up, there's glory. Now, there's some wacko churches out there. They turn on the mist makers. And all of a sudden, the mist and the fog appears, and they say, look at the glory of God. They're faking it. In reality, you know when the glory of God comes because you feel this big. You feel convicted by sin. You feel like God's talking right to you. That's glorious. The glory of, you know, uh, they had the glory of God's presence in their midst. They had the glory of supernatural protection over and over. They had the glory of God's special love and the glory of salvation like no other nation had. To them belong the covenants. You know, the majority of God's commitments have been to the Jews and not to the Christian. I'm glad for the new covenant. I'm glad for, for uh, God's commitment to me. But he made a load of commitments to the Jews and it'd be wise for me to learn about them because if he made those commitments to them, I'd take my commitments that he's made to me a whole lot more serious. To, him belong, to them belong the covenants. To them was the law given. To them was the responsibility of serving and worshiping God. 
To them belongs the fulfillment of the promises. And to them, and they had the fathers, which was, as I said, you look through Hebrews chapter 11, most of them are Hebrew people. They are Jews. Now, obviously, at the beginning, you got Adam, you got uh, Abel, you got the different people. But the majority of people there uh, of the lineage are, in Hebrews chapter 11, are Jewish. And most importantly, the advantage that the Israel had, Israelites had was they had the Messiah coming to them. Now, here's the great challenge here. All of those things should have meant that the Jews should have been the most faithful, the most believing, the most obedient, the most godly, the most righteous people on earth. If God invested all of that in those people, shouldn't they have gotten saved the easiest? And they didn't. Here's a great, here's a great truth. The human heart is never satisfied. The human heart only seeks its own righteousness in its own way. No matter what God does for you, you will still say, yeah. <laughs> Everything, listen, God did all of that for Israel, and yet they killed Jesus, didn't they? I don't get the idea, well, you know, if I had been there, I wouldn't have. You have no idea what you would have done if you'd been in that crowd as Jesus was passed by and everybody else said, crucify him. You have no idea what you would have done. All I know is this, with everything invested in them, they still rejected Jesus Christ. And the arrogant attitude of, of the Catholics, as I said this morning, and the Protestants, and most Christians today is, I would never treat that way, treat Jesus that way. I bet you did before you got saved. And the reality is that God's showing us, no matter how much he does for us, we still reject him. And I, I, I say this, you could have the best preacher, you could, have, um, you could have the best music, you could have the best uh, job, you could have the best wife, you could have the best husband. I know that's impossible. You can have the best kids, you can have the best job. I already said that. You could have the best economy and still reject God. Do you know what, what is important most of all? Your heart. And the faster you realize the heart is desperately wicked and you're lost and without hope in the world, the faster you can get to humbling your heart is the fastest way to get saved. You cannot get saved by having the greatest message preached to you. You cannot get saved by having an easier Bible read to you. It's not the Bible translation that makes you believe. It's your heart that says, whatever he says, I believe. Now, God's plan still works in spite of failure because all of that didn't guarantee success with the Jews. So look at verse 6. Not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children of Abraham. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise, and this is what he quotes. He says, at the time, at this time will I come after, Sarah, uh, after Ishmael's been born and Sarah's given up. God says, and Sarah still shall have a son. Not only this, but when Rebekah, another example, also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children not being yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth, it was said unto her, 
the elder is going to serve the younger. Now, who was the elder child of Isaac? Esau. And the older usually gets, listen, when mom and dad have to go out and they go on a date, who's put in charge? The younger kid or the older kid? The older kid. And yet here, God says, the, the elder is going to serve the younger. Um, verse 13, as is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith even unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath God mercy on whom he will have mercy, and on whom he will he hardeneth. Now, God's work, God's plan is always at work. And the truth is this. The Jews are not cast away. We get to that when we get chapter 11, verse 1. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. There's one page over. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. Now just stopping there. Here, I want you to understand, and, and mark this down in your head because there will be a test at the end of today's message. God's plan is to have mercy. Look at Romans chapter 11, verse 29. Eleven twenty-nine. For the gifts and the calling of God are without what? So when God gives a gift, can God change his mind? They're without repentance, without a change of mind. So when the gifts and the calling of God are said to be without repentance, verse 30, for as ye in times past have not believed God, speaking to the Gentiles, yet have now obtained mercy, circle that word, through their unbelief, through the Jews' unbelief, even so have they these also now not believed, that, though, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon how many? So what's God's plan? Is God's plan to throw away the Jews and now just love all the Gentiles? No. What does it say? God's plan is to have mercy on how many? On all. Now, what I'm dealing with here is you may not know it, and, and it depends on how much you spend on YouTube. How many times you spend listening and how much you spent picking up the attitude among Catholicism and even in the Protestant churches. And the attitude was that God really doesn't care about the Jews anymore. He cares about me. He cares about my needs. He cares about my wants. He cares about uh, Ireland and he cares about the, um, the Gentiles. And he's all through with the Jews. And that is, that is wrong. Calvin taught it. Luther taught it. As a matter of fact, Luther thought, uh, um, 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 Martin Luther taught that if, if, uh, uh, do not give a Jew a second chance. That if they ever uh, get caught for something, they are to be run out, they are to be burned, they are to be hunted, they are to be killed, they are not to be respected. And you know where he got that from? He got it from the Catholic Church and he carried it into his Protestantism. 
And it, it's just a pervasive attitude the Gentiles have toward the Jews. Let me tell you, you're still supposed to pray for the Jews. You're still supposed to love the Jews. You're still supposed to witness to the Jews. Matter of fact, they are the first people you're supposed to worry about over other people. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, uh, Romans 1, 16. Sometimes I wish my brain would be faster. As a matter of fact, all the time. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God of the salvation to everyone that believeth. Does the verse stop there? No. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Now, the modern apostate Christian, and I use that term very nicely, says that it's to the Jew first, and now that we're through with the Jews, it's now to the Gentiles. No, the Jews still are first in God's plan. And if you have any benefit, let me just tell you, it's because the Jews aren't getting it. It's not because God's through with the Jews. It's just because they're not in on it yet. And believe me, they will get in on it. So, they are not cast away from God. Secondly, the preaching of the Word of God always has an effect. That's why he asks and he says, do you really believe that, that the Word of God has no effect? Go to Isaiah, please. <clears throat> Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah 55. I'm not going to re-preach my, my message this morning, but I'm going to tell you, the attitude of the world against the Jew is like no other attitude ever experienced. And I know a lot of people, their genocide in Africa has gone on for the last 2,000 years, 3,000 years, I don't know. Uh, the Rwandans, uh, genocide in Ethiopia. Uh, there's genocide going on all over the world. Mao Zedong marched 30 million of his own people to death in the Long March. Um, in Georgia, Stalin tried to eradicate the, uh, the people in Georgia, not Georgia, America, but Georgia, Russia. Uh, genocide is, 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 uh, seems to be a constant thing, but there's one people group that are the most hated of all, and they're not the Irish. It's the Jew. And throughout history, they seem to be blamed for everything. But Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 10 55.10 says, For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, you never seen the rain fall up, <laughs> but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word, God speaking, be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. So here's the truth. God's word always is at work. Uh, it, it always produces something. You know what it does? Sometimes it upsets people. You ever been upset by what I've said? You ever been upset by what you read in the Bible? God's word is working. You know, if I, if I don't say some things that rattle you and get you upset, then I'm not doing my job. If my only job is make you feel good, then I, uh, I'm out of balance. The Bible, uh, Paul said to Timothy, he said, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, reprove is a negative word. Show people where they're wrong. Rebuke, tell them how wrong they are. Correct and instruct in righteousness. Um, and exhort, sorry, exhort. exhort that's the one third of it is encouraging sometimes. So sometimes you provoke to wrath 
And sometimes you provoke to believe. Uh, my pastor scared me. The night that I got saved, he preached how he said, I wonder if half the people in this congregation are truly saved. Now I'm looking around, I thought they were the best people I ever met in my life. I'm looking around at 250 people, and, and I'm, I sort of just snuck in there. I've sort of just sort of played along with the game. I got me a King James Bible. It was a new King James Bible. It was actually a new Schofield Bible. didn't have a new King James at that point. But I had my Bible. I um, uh, started to learn the lingo. I started to sing the hymns. Everything was just honky-dory. And the pastor said, you know what? I have no idea about you. There's only two people in the universe that know whether you're saved or not, you and God. He said, I wouldn't want to risk going to hell because you're afraid of what other people think because you don't want to admit that you don't know. And he said, and he just, that whole night, he preached about unsaved church members, the tares among the wheat. And he said, you know what happens to the tares? They are gathered and burned. He said, you're sitting in this church, and he talked about me. Now, he didn't, but I thought he was. <laughs> he said, some of you are going to church here for weeks on end, and you'd just be as happy as Larry. He didn't say happy as Larry, but whatever he said was the same. He said, you'd be just fine and dandy, sitting in here, just sliding through life, and you don't realize that you're still going to hell, and you've never been saved, never been born again, and tonight's the night, because tomorrow you got no chance. He scared me. Thank God. Because the Word of God works, and sometimes it needs to just catch us and pull us to our knees, and it just says, I'm lost. And that night, one of the deacon's daughters, she was also 17 years old, she started bawling, crying as he gave the invitation and uh, bolted up uh, uh, up to the front and fell on her face, started crying out to God, and the pastor just didn't know what to do. And he says, you okay? She says, no, I'm lost. Wow, at that point, the mom started crying as she came up alongside her daughter, and the pastor's just starting to cry, and everybody in church, and I'm looking, going with her. And, and, and really, I'd been around her for about eight weeks going to church and watching her. I thought she was the most godly girl I ever met. I said, if she's not saved, I certainly am not saved. And that night I got saved. And you know, God just does that. Sometimes it makes you mad, and sometimes it provokes you to believe. Amen? So if preaching sometimes is pointed and sometimes pushy, thank God. Thank God. Now, uh, third, look back there in, uh, in Romans chapter 9, verse 6. A key phrase shows up. Not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Now, Calvinists love this. A lot of different groups love this verse. Let me show you something here. Um, just because someone is physically born to Jacob or Israel doesn't make a person a recipient of God's salvation. You know, you cannot inherit your salvation from your parents. You know that, right? Patrick, your, your parents may be saved and saintly and perfect, but that doesn't mean that because you're born to Christian parents that you're now born again. You cannot, not all are Israel who are descendants of Israel is what Paul is saying. No Jew and no other person ever was saved from the punishment of their sins because of their nationality. How many people did I meet? Now, it's not so much today, but 24 years ago when I began knocking on doors and talking to people, I'd ask them, do you know where you're going when you die? And they go, I'm Irish. I go, okay, uh, and I knew what they were saying, they, they, and a lot of them, I, especially the older generation, they, they, they would tell me, I just got back from Mass. 
and I go to Mass every day. And the Bible says it doesn't work that way. Your nationality, your works don't prevent you from getting, going to hell. So Israel is something more than just nationality and genetics. God's plan works through the channel of faith always. Look at verse 7. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they the children, but in Isaac a special uh, line shall thy seed be called. And what line was Isaac? A promised line. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. Question, was Ishmael a child of Abraham? Yes or no? But they are not. The Ishmaelites are not children of Abraham. Now, I want to blow your mind for a second. I want you to... Um, uh, mm, mm, mm. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called, is verse 7. So what we got? We got Abraham starting the line by faith. And he has two boys, as I said this morning, Ishmael and Isaac. But Isaac's the one who has faith and actually respects God and, has, and, and God's able to use. And so Isaac is the person that God uses to bring about another two, Esau and Jacob. How are those two guys for spirituality? They both were dead zeros. But in the end, which one finally had a softness towards God and finally surrendered to God? Jacob did. Changed his life and relationship with God. And then Jacob has 12 sons, and those sons turn out to be nothing but a nightmare. One after another, Reuben messes with one of Jacob's wives, disqualifies him. Simeon and Levi slaughter over 30 men, young men in a, in a village, just murderous. They could disqualify themselves. Judah, being married, uh, goes out to a harlot and commits adultery. Should have been overlooked and disqualified, but because he repented, he was exposed, he was defeated, and he surrendered, and he says, God is right, I should die. You know what God said? Therefore, you're forgiven. Same happened with David, didn't it? David, when he was finally exposed, he should, have, he should have died. And God said, because you humbled your heart, you won't. So all the descendants of Abraham, even though they were offspring of Abraham, they were not the children of Abraham. Let's go to Genesis 22. Hold your place here. Genesis chapter 22. And in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 2, Now, and he, God said, take now thy son, what are the next four words? Thine only son. Wait a minute, wait, wait. This is Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis chapter 17 18, guess who had been born already? Ishmael. And you know what God said? Take your only son. Take now thine own, thy son, thy only son, Isaac. Whom thou lovest, and get thee unto the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Go to John chapter 8. Blow your mind, I hope. John 8, 39. Listen to these very religious Jews, religious leaders. John 8, 39. They answered and said unto Jesus, Abraham is our what? Oh, we're physical descendants of Abraham. Abraham is our father. And Jesus saith unto him, 
Well, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which ye have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Down to verse 44. Ye are of your father, the who? So they were physically the descendants of Abraham, but spiritually, who were they the descendants of? The devil, Satan. So, the point is this. Their physical lineage, being the descendant of Abraham, was going to send them to hell. Because their spiritual father was the devil, they needed to become a spiritual Jew. Hmm. So there are two Israels. Go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, to the right from Romans. Galatians chapter 6, in verse 16. Galatians 6, 16. Even as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy upon the Israel of God. God's Israel. Run to, peace be upon them. Go to, uh, what's the other one? It's Romans chapter 2, verse 28. Romans 2, 28. <clears throat> Romans 2, 28 says, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision that is of the heart. In the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So there are two Israels. Guess which Israel us dumb dog Gentiles have been adopted into. You don't need to become a physical Jew, grow long locks, wear black hats and black clothes, go to the wailing wall. You don't need to have a Sabbath uh, uh, a Seder dinner on Friday night. You don't need to not work on a Saturday. And you don't have to have all of that stuff. All you have to have is faith in the Jewish Messiah who did all that for you. I've been adopted into the spiritual Jewish family. Galatians 3, go to the back to the right, find Galatians chapter 3. In verse 7, Galatians 3 and verse 7. 3 and 7 says this, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Uh, let's see what my next one is. Verse 26, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 29, and if you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, if you belong to Jesus Christ, by faith. Let's quickly go back to Romans chapter 9. So God's plan works through faith, not through genetics. Now that doesn't mean, and this is the problem, is people say, well, then God is all done with the Jews. That can't be true, folks, because the rest of the Bible, and especially the rest of future, all surrounds the Jew. You and I are out of here. We're not even, you know, when a person got saved, are you still a Gentile? No. When a Jew gets saved, are they still a Jew? No. But the Jews still have a place. The Jewish nation, the Jewish people are going to get saved. They are going to go through the tribulation, not the Christian. We're neither Jew nor Gentile, but the, the Jew is still going to go through the tribulation. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. 
and they're going to get saved and they're going to reign in the millennium. It gets on. So when people say God's all through with the Jews, they have no idea what they're talking about. Now, next point, God's foreknowledge is the key to his choice. When God makes choices, it's because he knows the end. Romans chapter 9 and verse 10. Not only this, but when Rebekah had conceived by one, even by her father Isaac, parentheses, he says, and I want to tell you, remember, the children not being yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, that's the election, God always elects based on purpose, not salvation. What did I say? Is anybody ever elected to salvation, yes or no? No. But they are elected according to purpose that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. So it was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. As is written, Jacob, oh, have I loved at Esau, have I hated. If ever there was a verse that the Calvinist loves, it's that one. See, God, before they were even born, God hated Esau. No, not at all. When it comes, look at what it's, it's foreknowledge. God, before they were ever born, God knew what Esau was going to do, and he knew what was going to happen. He knew that Esau never would get right. Question, if you showed me the life and recorded the life of Esau, and you recorded the life of Jacob, they both spiritually were zeros. The only difference between Esau and Jacob was Jacob at, how old was he? 96 years old, he finally said, you win, God. And in the end, the elder did serve the younger. And take your Bible, go into Malachi. Find out where that scripture is quoted from. Does, do you think that God actually said, right before Matthew, Malachi, do you think that God actually told Rebecca, Isaac, Rebecca, yes, that God actually told Rebecca that he hated one of her children. I hate that unborn baby Esau. Do you think God actually said that? Every Calvinist does. Malachi chapter 4, is it? I find my place. Is it chapter 1? Yes, it is. Chapter 1, verse 2. I'm ahead of myself, but I'll go ahead and catch up with Malachi chapter 1 and verse 2. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye Jews say, wherein hast thou loved us? And then God goes on. Oh, and then he says, was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Now, I want you to understand, verse 2 and 3, God says, I love you, Jacob. And I've hated Esau, but he never started that hatred at his birth. It was due to the way that Esau turned out. And if you look at the life of Esau, Esau never got right. And so he became the enemy of Jacob. As a matter of fact, when, when Israel comes out of Egypt and tries to get into the promised land, the, um, the Edomites chased the Israelites away from their, their territory. They wouldn't give them any water, wouldn't give them any food. They were willing to kill their own distant relatives. And God said, you're not going to get away with that. And they turned into receiving the hatred of God. So God, uh, knowing the future, says one's going to serve 
the, the, younger, the older is going to serve the younger, knowing how they're going to be. And it was 1,300 years later when he says, I have hated Jacob, uh, Esau. I have hated Esau, and Jacob have I loved. And the point is this. Election is God making a choice of whom he's going to accept and bless and use for his purpose. Election never is for salvation. Salvation is always up to the individual. I'll prove that in a second. God's choice to bless and use Israel was based upon his foreknowledge. He didn't make Esau do wrong any more than he made Ishmael the enemy of Israel any more than he made Pharaoh fight God. There is no such thing as unconditional election. If you ever hear of, of uh, uh, Calvinism, they go through TULIP, T-U-L-I-P, total depravity, unconditional election, meaning that God makes a choice and you can't fight it, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. And John Calvin made election the reason why he saves people. The reason why God saves people because I like you and I don't like you. That's Calvinism. But election never saved anybody. It never saved the Jews, did it? Grace did. Go to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Look what it doesn't say. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 6. This is in Noah's day, and it says, It repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found election in the eyes of the Lord. No, Noah wasn't elect. Noah found grace. And you know, when you find grace, you better grab it. Amen. And Noah did. God's, uh, you cannot get elected until you've made your own choice. You know, my kids uh, would buy me stuff at Christmas, and Christmas was always unique. Now, I made some big mess-ups in buying my wife stuff at Christmas, and <laughs> she says, don't tell her, don't tell her. <laughs> but I'm a little bit different. You know, my, wife's, uh, my kids may buy me one of the most outlandish ties ever seen on human earth. You know what I say when I get it? It's just what I wanted. Because that's what they wanted to get me. Amen? I may never wear it, <laughs> as I absolutely have to. But you know, when I, when I come to God and I make my choice to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, God looks down to me and says, you're just what I wanted. I choose you. He never looked and says, you know, I want you, and I want you, but I don't want you. No, 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 no. When you come to Christ, he in no wise will cast you out. Whenever you come to Christ, he says, you're just what I wanted. I choose you. So, <clears throat> uh, foreknowledge. God knew what was going to happen, so he makes a prediction. And by the way, he says later on, he says, by the way, I was right. And he's right. Because he can tell you the end of the game from the beginning. Wouldn't you hate to be around him at the beginning of a match? He says, they're going to win. Oh, I wanted to find out for myself. <laughs> Now, Israel's election has nothing to do with their salvation. It has to do with Israel being honored above all other nations. That's it. So, here's why God cannot be blamed for the existence of Ishmael, the Arabs, for Esau's rebellion, 
the Edomites, or for Pharaoh's rejection. 9 verse 14 says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Back there in Romans 9. God forbid, for he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Now I've heard over and over Calvinists basically say this to me. They basically say this means that God will bring into heaven those whom he has predestined to come to heaven. That God will elect to be his children only those that he wants. So, that any, so it is not any sinner who ever by an act of their will receiving Christ, nor of a work of man, but it's only always of God who sovereignly chooses people to be his. Now that sounds real deep, that sounds real good, but it is really wrong. Did you know God's mercy is extended to you not based on your efforts or even based on your will? He based it on your faith. I want you to see Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs 18. He says there, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Well, let's find out who we will have mercy on. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 26. There's none. I hate that. Proverbs 1, 24. <laughs> Proverbs 1, 24. Oh, I wonder what it is that I was... Well, I'm looking for the verse where he says, to the merciful, I will show myself merciful. But to the froward, that's to the crooked, that's to the liar, to the, to the one who won't be real, I will show myself froward. Hmm? It is Psalm 1826. Smart guy. Psalm 1826. There we go. Look at verse 25. With the merciful... See, God says, I'm going to show mercy upon whom I want to show mercy. And well, let's find out who he wants to show mercy to. With the merciful, with the soft, thou wilt show thyself merciful. With an upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure. But with the froward, thou wilt show thyself froward. You know what? If you're, if you're struggling with sin, if you're, if you're giving in constantly to temptation, if you're living in the devil's domain, you know what you're going to think about God? God is unfair. God doesn't, doesn't love me. You're going to think that God's against you, and he is. <laughs> Amen? Because he is a mirror image of you. So when we look and we see, and this is the great truth, when we look and we see Ishmael, Esau, and Pharaoh's rejection, who's to blame for them being that way? They are. They are. Quickly, mm -mm -mm. God's plan is fixed so that no one can adjust it. Look at verse 18. Therefore he hath mercy on whom he will have mercy. Back to Romans. <laughs> Fast, I'm just racing. I'm probably just going to skip a bunch of stuff. There is so much here, but I want to say this. <clears throat> and whom he will, he hardeneth. Well, thou wilt say unto me, why then, why doth he yet find fault if he's in charge? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O oh man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed, that's us, say to him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath 
fitted to destruction, that he might make known the riches of his glory on vessels of mercy, which he had afforded prepared unto glory, even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. He's asking, he's saying, all right, everybody's going to have a problem with God, Jew and Gentile, because God's plan, you can't adjust it. If God hardens a heart, that is because the heart already is decided on its own fate. Romans chapter 8 says, uh, so Romans chapter 1 verse 18 starts off and says, the problem with man is not sin. What's the problem with mankind? His heart. The Bible says, not only all the lists there, and it says, neither were they thankful. Neither would they bring themselves to humble themselves and say, you know what, everything I got, I got from God. I didn't do it. And so that's the root of the thing. So when, when somebody is hard against God, don't you think for a second that God made them that way. So when God starts to work against them and they start fighting and angry at God, God's not to blame. God is only dealing with them as a hard-hearted person. Would God rather he deal with them as a soft-hearted person? Amen. What do you do with a coconut? You can't do anything with a coconut until you break it, amen? Until you cut it open somehow. And God can't do with us until he breaks us. So if God, if God is hardening a heart, it's because the heart already was hard, not because it was soft. Here's three things. You can go ahead and try and resist God's will. You will not win. You will not. I will. <laughs> Did Jonah teach that a Christian can resist God's will? You cannot win, man. When God puts his pressure on you, he needs you to do something, you say, that's not fair. You're arguing with God. I try to put pressure on people and they explode. I just back away. I want to tell you this. When God puts a pressure on, you better yield. <coughs> Secondly, you go ahead and try resisting, rejecting God's plan. Uh, I'll show you something there. In verse 20, he says, well, go to, go to Romans 8, 28. Go back one page. The plan for Pharaoh, the plan for Moses was in response to their hearts. Why did God wait 40 years before he finally said something to Moses and say, hey, I'm going to use you? Why did God wait 40 years? Somebody tell me. Huh? Yes, sir. Finally be able to, because up until that point, he didn't want to talk to God. Up to that point, he was mad at God. So God waited for the right time and says, you ready to talk, Moses? <laughs> you don't, you, you say, why does it take so long for God to do anything in my life? Point at yourself. Romans 8, 28, look at this. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, that's the beginning, them he did also predestinate to be saved. Is that what it says? No. He predestinated you to be conformed, trained, changed, transformed to the image of his son, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. And listen, the potter, and I wish we could go there, but I, uh, Jeremiah chapter uh, 18 has uh, the potter there, and he picks up a lump of clay, and he puts it on the wheel, and begins to spin the wheel with his foot, and he begins to work on that clay. Does anybody know what happens? The clay won't yield. You know what God does with the clay next? He picks it up off of that wheel, and it says he slams it down on that wheel again, and he tries again. He says, can I not work with you again? But you know, every potter knows you only work with that clay so long before you say it's unmalleable, and you throw it away in the potter's field where Judas committed suicide. 
And you, listen, when God begins to put that pressure and spin your life in all different directions and starts to mold and shape you and bring you to where he can change you and you keep fighting, keep fighting it, you're not going to win. You're not going to win. I don't know if I could stay in this marriage. I don't know if I could just put up with my parents. I don't know if I could stick this job. I don't know if I can handle pastor preaching anymore. I don't know. Whatever. Let me tell you this. You're not going to win. You're not going to win. Third, you will reap God's results. Look at verse 22 back there in Romans 9. What if God willing to show his wrath and make his power known, he endureth with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to what? You know, you fight God and you resist God. You, you say, I don't think I need to get saved. I don't think I need the Bible. Let me tell you this. You are now fitted for destruction. And the verse goes on, verse 23, and what if God might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he hath afore prepared unto glory? Here, you can reap God's results. You either end up with dishonor, hell, or honor. You're either fitted for destruction or for glory. And, and the point is this. Are you ready? God's at work at everybody. And how I respond to the work is up to me. Uh, last point. The door of faith is open to all people everywhere. Verse 24. Even us, whom he hath called, not the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he had saith in Hosea, we'd say, O see, I will call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth, except the Lord of everything, had left us a seed, we had been as Sodoma and been made like unto Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, had not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Wherefore? Because they sought it not by Faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. See, if election is all that was mattered, they didn't need faith. What's the critical thing to the whole thing? Yes, we're dealing with an all-wise, sovereign God who can control every raindrop on the planet. But He waits for us to yield. The word is submit. The word is to believe and receive. By faith. Verse 33 is it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a what? A stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So, what's the point? The point is Jesus Christ is the matter, not your election, whether you're predestined for heaven or hell. It doesn't matter any of that. You know what matters? What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? If he keeps causing you to stumble and fall and, and, and to, to get upset, good, that's his job. If he convinces you that Peter's not the rock and the Catholic Church is flawed and messed up and that nobody can be trusted, good. Because Jesus Christ is that stone by which us dumb Gentiles believe. And it's the same stone that the Jews say, I will not believe. Isn't that funny? 
So now, that's only one chapter. Paul's going three chapters trying to help the Gentiles understand how important the Jews are. His first chapter basically demeans them and says they are in trouble with God. And then in chapter 10, he teaches how they are going to get out of trouble. And he brings up, he says, the same way that you and I got out of trouble. And that's by faith. So, let me just really quick question, find out if you have paid attention tonight. Number one, what is God's main plan? What is God's plan? Well, for the Jews to be saved, but I'm going to take it a little bit further. Okay, but as I said, to have mercy on all, Jew and Gentile. The Jew thought, what did the Jew think? That God only thought about the Jews. Was that right or wrong? It was wrong. God was worried about the Ninevites. God was worried about the Amorites, the Moabites. As a matter of fact, he was worried about the Canaanites. God's plan is to have mercy on all. How can anyone get God's mercy? Hmm? Reasoning with God, right? Humbling and having a soft heart towards God's word and towards God's judgment. Anytime you find somebody in the Bible where they feared God, that was the best thing they ever did. Because when you fear God, you've decided you're the boss. I don't want to mess with you. I don't want to get you upset. Third, does the lostness of anybody grieve your heart like it did Paul's? Does it ever worry you that your people, your family, your kinsmen after the flesh are going to go to hell? Wow. That's very convicting. Does having the greatest church and the best preaching, which you already have, and the most miracles ensure that to have the most people saved, does that guarantee that we're going to have the most people saved? Not at all. God's plan always works, but it works best when a person accepts it by what? God's plan has to be accepted by faith. Hmm. Why is God able to make a declaration about the future? Because he knows it. He already can see the end. He already knows everything's going to work out. He doesn't have to micromanage. That does not say that God doesn't come along and nudge. That doesn't say that God doesn't come along and puts a pressure on. That doesn't say that God doesn't stop the rain for a little while to get people to realize they've upset God. That doesn't mean that God doesn't interfere. But God does not manipulate. God does not come along and say, I'm going to make you believe. That's like telling I'm going to make you love. You can't do that. Can anyone just will themselves into salvation? I'm going to be saved today. <laughs> what? You cannot will yourself into salvation. You can yield yourself into salvation. I went to the doctor. I was 18 years old with uh, pain in my abdomen there. I thought it was indigestion. They quickly checked me out, threw me down on the table and says, we're going to have to operate. You're going to die. I had, I had appendicitis. It was, it was in the process of bursting. I told you, this 24-year-old kid doctor came in. He said, I'm the doctor on duty today. Actually, he said like this, I'm the doctor on duty today. <laughs> you know what I had to do? I had to just lay back, sign the consent form, and let him cut. Amen? And salvation is you not willing anything. I couldn't will it. I had all day long taken, what do you guys have, Rennie's? Or what is it here? I was taking indigestion tablets. I thought that I could will it better. I just ignore it. Couldn't, I had to have an operation. And you have to be saved by yielding. Number eight, who's to blame for Ishmael's, Esau's, and Pharaoh's destruction by God? 
them. Number nine, are the Jews still able to get saved? Paul's proof of it. But who else is now getting saved on a worldwide scale? Gentiles. Amen? Amen. Copley, I know we haven't done this in a long time, just look through a chapter like this. I know we had to race. But you know it's good. It's good because sometimes we kind of get a little too pleasant, a little bit too easygoing, just, you know, I don't want to be a mama bird pre-digesting everything for you. Sometimes you're going to have to just get some stuff and chewing it yourself for a while and go, wow, amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. We didn't have to know any of this. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm glad for anyone that preaches the gospel, no matter what they messed up about Calvinism or Arminianism, I'm just glad Jesus is preached. I'm glad people still get saved. But Lord, I'm glad also that the Bible was written so I know the truth and so I could work through and understand, you know what, God is not all through with the Jews. As a matter of fact, you still got a big plan for them and they are supposed to be a priority in my life. I'm not to ever demean them. I'm not to ever curse them. I'm not to ever um, uh, abuse them. I am to totally honor them, even though they're wicked, because they are your beloved. They are your people. They are the apple of your eye. And you said if anybody touches the apple of your eye, you will touch them. And so I want to be on your right side. And I want to understand them because the things that were written before time about them are written for my learning. They give me comfort. They give me hope. They give me warning. So, Lord, um, thank you for this month where we can sort of take our time and learn about the Jews. And by so doing, we learn about ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.